started? Well, I got started uh, interested in cryptozoology in 1960. I saw a movie called Half Human, and Half Human was about the Yeti in some mountains in the Himalayas or the Asia, I didn't really know. I saw that movie, I went to school the next day, and I asked my teachers, what is this about the Yetis? And they said, get back to your studies. It doesn't exist, ignore it. In England, after the advent of Christianity, the Valkyries, or choosers of the slain, were relegated to the villages and there degenerated into witches. In the Scandinavian countries the giants of heathen myth, who lived in Jotunheim and battled against the god Thor, were reduced to rustic trolls. In the cosmogony opening the Eldoretta, we read that in the twilight of the gods, the giants, allied with a wolf and a serpent, will scale the rainbow Bifrost, which will break under their weight, thereby destroying the world. The trolls of popular superstition are stupid, evil elves who dwell in mountain grannies or in ramshackle huts. Trolls of distinction may bear two or three heads. Welcome back to another episode of the Humor and the Abject Podcast, you book of imaginary beings but chugging screedlers. This is Staff Only, the podcast studio manager. On this week's episode, we've got a totally tubular artist by the name of Laura Bernstein. And we're gonna talk about some wacky ass stuff. So, fill up a chalice with the blood of a mythological woodland beast, and how let the fucking moon. It's cryptid time, baby. Let's turn it over to your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. I'm Ira Glass. Welcome to Jackass. It's episode 76 of the Humor in the Abject podcast. I'm your host, Sean J. Patrick Carney. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, I've got a little plug, Screedlers. This Friday, August 17th, I want to invite you all out to American Medium in Chelsea for an event with my little publishing label, Social Malpractice. It's the release of a new collection of short fiction and poems by Calliope Mathias called Circus Heart. The event kicks off at 7 p.m., and you'll have the chance to purchase Callie's book on site. We'll also have readings from Peter B.D., Shireen Ahmed, Valerie Shung, and, of course, the star of the evening herself, Callie. I'm super excited about this book. It's the 36th title I've put out on Social Malpractice. And a big-ass shout-out to Josh, Dan, and Travis at American Medium for hosting. On this week's episode, I've got artist Laura Bernstein. I first learned of Laura's work uh, last year when she and friend of the pod and one of my best buddies, Daniel J. Glendening, did a two-person show at the Anytime Department in Cincinnati. A few months later, I caught her solo exhibition at Nurture Art here in Brooklyn. Uh, She invited me over to her studio, and it was a super fun visit. If you are interested, I wrote a little roundup of the visit on the blog, and I'm putting the link to that in the episode description. Uh, Laura is obsessed with cryptids, which is very much up my alley. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Here's my conversation with Laura Bernstein. Laura Bernstein, welcome to Humor in the Abject. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, how's the summer treating you? It's hot. You're moving uh, studios, right? I am moving studios um, August 20th at 2 p.m. Really? Is when I must be out. Oh, wow. That's pretty soon. Soon. Um, so speaking of studios, right off the bat, you're a sculptor. Sculptors got to have a got to have a studio. Uh, but you also make paintings and drawings. You make videos. What's the consistent subject matter that you're dealing with that kind of ties all this stuff together? Um, hmm cryptozoology would be one of the imaginary beings Mm -hmm. mythical creatures um when did you get into those i think in my undergrad um yeah the skiopod was the first kind of creature i encountered the skiopod has a very one single very large foot and it uh uses its foot to shield itself from the sun Mm mm-hmm when did you, how did you, what do you mean you stumble across it? 
So I um, spent a semester abroad in my undergraduate at Rome in Rome, um, and I during that time was able to travel a lot around Italy and went to this kind of anatomical wax museum in Bologna and saw an open manuscript in passing of this skeopod creature. Dang. And you were hooked. I was hooked. Mm-hmm. It just lodged itself <laughs> into my brain and stayed there. And it's become this like reoccurring symbol or, and maybe it's, it's uh it's what's grounded me to make a really bad, foot pun but but what what uh i mean what is it about the what's it about the giant foot is it about the protection is it about the kind of the lumbering impossibility of moving around like that i mean what what's attractive about it yeah i think that it um thinking about the body as a kind of single self-sustaining um unit or entity and also just like the absurdity of having this limb that's like so oversized and um and that could just be functional but also clearly uh, a bit of a hindrance a hind- yeah <clears throat> it's also kind of like slapstick funny totally I mean, it's a goofy looking thing there's in inelegance to having one gigantic foot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so a lot of the conceptual and I guess aesthetic influences too in your work besides uh, just specifically cryptozoology come from probably what I would think of as uh, kind of outside an art history canon mm-hmm. necessarily. Like you're looking at other types of imagery mm-hmm. um, that you're drawing inspiration from. So what, what are some of the things that you're researching? Like where do the, where do the forms come from, um, especially in your drawings and paintings? Like mm-hmm. what, what source material are you looking at? It kind of, I guess a, it ranges and it kind of just depends on uh, like, yeah, there's a lot of like culling and, um, but like with my drawings, I guess that's been a concrete way to like track the kind of imagery that I'm looking at. And some of that is like images of circuses or sideshow acts or zoos. Um, I went to the zoo a lot growing up. Um, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx. In the Bronx. Oh, um, you went to the Bronx Zoo. I went to the Bronx Zoo. Dude, my parents had a poster from the Bronx Zoo with a flamingo on it. A very oh, wow. 80s looking one that was in our bathroom framed. Amazing. A giant one Amazing. my entire life. Wow. We had a zoo in my hometown, but it sucked. Did you, Have you been to the Bronx Zoo? No, I've not. I've walked by it. Because it's, is it, maybe it's not. Is it kind of near the Botanical Gardens? Yeah, yeah, it's very close. Okay, so I've been near it. Yeah. Um, the zoo in my hometown in Michigan um it had like rabbits and deer and squirrels it just had the animals domestic yeah it had the animals that if you walked a mile away from the zoo we're just we're just out there yeah yeah it was it was kind of more like a prison in that well that's kind of maybe the bronx zoo is just a glorified (laughs) but 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 those animals don't have to stare out and like see their peers kind of moving Mm -hmm. around freely in the bronx wow yeah (laughs) oh my gosh um so zoos circuses things like stuff that i'm down with circuses i'm a carny you know i got to I gotta give respect to the circus. That's what you said when you visited my studio, and then I said, yeah. "Oh, you were in." <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. You cool. have a history as a yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that makes sense that you asked because I've interviewed um, <clears throat> a surprising number of people who have revealed to me during the interview that they went to clown college. I'm which, jealous. Which I didn't really know was. It's I guess a thing. I knew that you could do that, yeah. but a surprising number of people are like, "Oh no, I was just in France for like a year, and I went to clown college." What the fuck? Are I you mean, yeah. About? I I looked uh, into that cl- clown college. Um, I never made it, but <clears throat> but I feel like I'm tempted to take the head of the microphone off and put it on my nose like a oh yeah red clown nose. Yeah, uh, the microphone that Laura has That's... and the one that I have. I think people have seen photos of it before, but I put these red wind guards on it because it it both is funny uh, and it reminds you that that's the thing that you're talking into you know 
feels like a clown knows. It feels like you have, yeah. Imagine that you're arguing with a clown while you're talking into, or you're being very stern or getting very close up to it. Um, well, what is it about the, is it the formal qualities of the, I mean, cause you think about an image of a circus or a zoo and looking at it, it's this kind of wild layout right. of different types of things have lots of action happening at once as opposed to mm-hmm. a central focal right. point. I mean, is that what's... Yeah, I think it's like this simultaneous action, like a convergence of um, activities maybe that don't always make sense together and that then open themselves up to like a slapstick or like an absurdity. Um, also, like... Two, there's so much um, kind of actually someone recently suggested that I start trying to have interviews with people in the circus Mm. in addition to like scientists um, just to kind of hear because there's so much that goes into kind of the choreography of um, and like training elephants to walk on. I mean, we know there's like a violence and a extreme abuse and like how these um, animals are like conditioned and socialized essentially to perform in the ring and create this fantastic spectacle. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually there are some like great horrifying videos on YouTube of some of these like training, like dancing horses or like, um, I don't know about it's that. It's been a while since I've gone down that rabbit hole, but like... It sounds like it could get pretty dark yes, pretty quick. Yeah. But anyway, so I think there's like, in some of these drawings, there's like kind of maybe a hint at some of that in the motions and gest- gestures, though they're drawn in this like very colorful, playful way. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, that, that makes sense in the, in the way that the circus is presented, I guess, too. That's right. It's kind of fun, exciting thing that has a pretty fucked up, uh, dark underbelly. <clears throat> you excited for the new Dumbo? They're, they're remaking Dumbo. I think, I've, yeah. It's I, like a, well, I guess it obviously isn't fully live action because there's not a small elephant right. that is flying. But I don't think I know that much about it. It <laughs> shows you what, where I'm at. It was trending one morning on Twitter. Uh, okay. and it was like Dumbo is trending. On Twitter. And I was like, why is yeah. Dumbo trending? Okay. And then I looked at it and it turns out that they're making a new one. I think like Tim Burton is making it. Oh, that seems fitting. Yeah. And like RDJ, I think mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. might be in it. Oh. If I'm wrong, I don't know. Fuck yourself if you actually know. But yeah. I can't be I can't be held accountable for who's in that movie. I watched a trailer for 30 seconds once. Um, but in addition to the circuses and stuff, the sculptural work that you make mm-hmm. has a lot to do with kind of like pseudosciences or projected futures and imagined things around, uh, I guess, things that are kind of related to heredity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd mentioned when we were uh, emailing before this that Carl Zimmer has, mm-hmm. a, has a new book, mm-hmm. a new-ish book. Mm-hmm. Uh, she Had Her Mother's Laugh. Mm-hmm. What's that? What is that about? I read, you sent me a link to uh, an article, a review of it. Like, that yeah. I, well, I read the review, but what if somebody didn't? It's true. What's it about? Uh, so it's really, it's a dense, I mean, it's a dense book. It's fat book. Uh <laughs> So maybe not a good subway read, uh-huh. like carried in your bag. Tough to carry around. I'm yeah. approaching this uh, question from a, first as a sculptor and then second as, as a New Yorker, yes, as a commuter, as a commuter, <laughs> third as someone that doesn't write book jacket covers. But yeah, yeah. if I had to, you don't so, have to blurb it. Yeah, I don't. So <laughs> it's it. Um. So it kind of starts out talking about um, the history of, like, bloodlines in terms of, like... Like uh, royalty? Like royalty, okay. and but, like, in how much breeding there... Inbreeding there mm-hmm. was be- between the royalty because they wanted to preserve the purity of their blood. Yeah. So the, those chapters are pretty fantastic in terms of, like, pseudoscience yeah. and thinking about just, like... The way that people thought the that way they were that creating people, a superior right. genealogy or genealogy, something by but we're mutating in, their genes exactly. and making 
inbred babies. Yeah. Cool. And and so then, you know, people would die out a lot earlier than <laughs> they thought. And that's why, you know, too, there were such big family, like people would. You yeah, had a lot of kids because they were going to die. Anyways. Right. Or, or maybe they didn't know, need, know they were going to die, but it was just anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but he talks a lot about, um, and then there's like a great chapter on Gregor Mendel, who did all the like, uh, kind of like work with different peas and like mm. cross pollination. Mm-hmm. I remember that from science class in college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but, it, and then, so he like kind of moves between talking about, um, these different like kind of science scientists work and their theories of, um, like evolution or heredit hereditary gene splicing, but then also these more like kind of cultural, um, points or, um, like the darker sides of hereditary or what we know of like eugenics. Oh yeah. Did you kind of come to the book because you were already interested in this stuff? I was interested in this stuff. I also like the, he has a lot on this guy Lamarck too, which is a lot of, which was like kind of Lamarck had these theories was like pre Darwin of like, kind of this idea of like the the most common analogy is like giraffes have really long necks because they need their necks to reach leaves in the tree like mm-hmm. the more you use something the more like the longer the it longer gets. it gets <laughs> and like you'll pass that uh-huh. um your offspring will inherit inherit what you like the thing okay that so you've this been is like using proto evolutionary yeah. theory kind of thing and um and now there's like kind of goes into yeah it goes in a lot of different directions he's also like weaving together um his own he like goes through a series of genetic um get like getting his dna read and like trying to understand his um like family tree and um what he's him and his wife has had passed off to their daughter so it's like weaving in all oh, like these to different see if they have like the cancer right. gene or whatever right yeah i um, think my family has that and it was like why i don't don't tell us right i don't know i think or, like one of my parents found out and like told us and we were just like i don't okay what do we do with this information <laughs> yeah, it's like you want to know when you're gonna die not really i don't know Maybe. no i mean it's, it seems like an interesting thing but right to what end right <laughs> like what would you do before you die I, was like, I don't know when i die i'm probably not gonna care right if i went to new zealand that's not what i want to do <laughs> it's a terrible example what i do care about this makes me think of another interest or something i mentioned while you visited my studio uh-huh. was thinking about how to make out my sculptures, outdoor sculptures. Yeah. And like, I've been thinking about mushrooms and there's this, like this woman that's made this mushroom suit and it's, it's a body suit for when you die and it's to like reduce your carbon footprint. It like eats you? It eats you. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I, is it, it seems like it's probably pretty expensive. I think it might be in its like trial run. So yeah. she's like looking for people to sign oh, up. You could just get one. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. That's a, What if you wore it just as <laughs> like just, a fashion? How long do you think it would take before whoa, you were eaten alive? That's a crazy question. And Maybe you need to be dying because it like you off gas things yeah. that the mushrooms will respond to. I think, they need to like live off of that. Pretty. That's yes. Wow. So in the work though that you make, because I feel like if it if you could just put it on that as a living person, mm. that could be a really yeah, it would be hard to release that as like get it passed by like mm. I don't know if it's like the FDA, like a slow, like a, a really slow suicide. Yeah, that would that's assisted by, suicide by, by mushroom by a mushroom suit. Yeah, so the I mean these concerns are in your work, and then a lot of it's kind of this the sculptural stuff is these projected kind of futures where humans uh well not necessarily humans but these beings have kind of started to look like mythological or misinterpreted things from the past Mm -hmm. but through these evolutionary kind of uh 
processes that give them like advantages in, I mean, sometimes I guess I look at it and I think, is it kind of post climate change? Is it what, what, how far into the future are these things that you're imagining? There's infinite possibilities with the idea of like, I guess a mutant or a creature or a monster and, um, in, in like what materials it could be made out of what, um, that could like suggest be more specific about a time period. Like, you know, some of the ones in my studio have like found objects, like plungers and, um, there's a lot of plumbing references. Um, is that because all of those are left over because in the future plumbing, the plumbing infrastructure will have collapsed? Perhaps. That seems like a, <laughs> that's like a, I feel like there's a dystopian thing I haven't really thought about. The, the, like the, the plumbing infrastructure that's will why it, collapse. It will. Yeah. And that is going to be rough. It, yes. I mean, fuck the electrical grid. Right. If, if the plumbing if system to, fails. If there's nowhere to put poop. Wow. Wow. There will be rioting in the streets. Yes. It will be chaos. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so, it's funny because in my, um, <laughs> we'll have to grow a giant foot to stomp through one big foot. Yes. We'll hop through. <laughs> we'll hop through all of the <laughs> shit. Um, so you, well, when you display this stuff too, you use, you're displaying the stuff in exhibitions in these kind of like, uh, ways sort of like specimens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've heard you reference cabinets of curiosities mm-hmm. and it makes me think of kind of like the way that like Mark Dion plays mm-hmm. with that for like classification systems and mm-hmm. stuff. So you're sort of presenting them as these, um, it's an interesting kind of like time flip cause you're presenting them as specimens or right. objects, but they're also sort of futuristic right. or something. And there's kind of a fun collapse of time going on in there. And I guess, I mean, it's your artistic license to not right. tell me well, when they're from. <laughs> right. Well, but also it's like, I don't really know. Like <laughs> no. I kind of keep on like being like, it's huh. like a grad school question. Yeah. Uh, Laura, what year are these from? No, it's just, I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm just curious. Cause I wonder sometimes when people do, projects like this like I know everybody has on a different spectrum of like where narrative kind of is mm-hmm, in it and I know mm-hmm. that some people are just kind of like I'm just sort of inventing a, a thing that kind of is a stand-in for this or that right and then I've met some people who are like nerds about it and they're like it's in 2120 right and it's for these reasons and all of this led mm-hmm. up to it and it's like which is kind of charming, but it's like, no one ever knows that looking at it. Right. I'm just curious where you're kind of like, yeah, I'm where com- you fall on that. <laughs> I think I fall on the, like, I feel like this project, it's like, it's v- fragmented and like allowed me to like kind of spin in s- circles and like, um, kind of pull from different places. Uh, and, um, and like continue kind of asking those questions. Yeah. And you get to retool it. Yeah, so exactly. You're not writing a TV show right. where you have to follow right. some kind of linear thing. Right. But also, and it's funny with the like presentation of like cabinet curiosity, it was like that, that's kind of the thing. I'm like, I'm not interested in that. I'm uh-huh. not interested in like institution, like this like critique of yeah, yeah. exhibition. And then like, that's what it <laughs> kind of becomes, which feels like classic. And, but yeah. Well, what about the, you mentioned it before, but uh, materiality seems super important. I mean, you're, you're making these things, but I think about the materials that you use and it seems like texture mm-hmm. is so important in your work. So for somebody who, I mean, you know, hopefully they click the link through to the website if they're not familiar with the work, <laughs> but what are some of the like go-to materials that you're working with and are they stand-ins for things? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of, cause, cause I feel like that's where you have a command of texture. Mm. Like, you know that this will kind of look like this right. or suggest this. Right. What are you using? I'm using paper mache. Yes. With a <laughs> cornstarch base. Uh-huh. And, um, and then wax. I use paraffin. It's a little too brittle. So it flakes. Mm. Um, Is that a good thing? I mean, I think it definitely adds to the visceral uh it feels like these things are like they're shedding they're like they leave a trace Mm -hmm. like a snail would like it's flaky and love snails yeah i have snails oh three that's awesome Mm -hmm. as a pet that's great okay so you got paper mache Um, paraffin wax what else we talk um sometimes i paint the like good old construction paper, which sometimes I paint like underneath applying the wax. We have felt raw wool 
Um, What's raw wool? Raw wool is just like sheep's wool that's been sheared um, and like often without, sometimes without being cleaned. Okay. Um, Do you get some critters in it? Does it come along with friends? It does. (laughs) Some of the batches have. um, And like a really good like earthy smell. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's exciting raw wool that i got um i got claire for christmas maybe a while ago one of the things i got her for christmas is like like a sheepskin mm. like for winter mm-hmm. like have and like wrap around you on the couch or whatever nice. and the place that i bought it from was like very very adamant that it didn't smell oh yeah they it was like it like, does not smell and i was just like, like is it do they usually i mean I guess they probably could, yeah. but it didn't smell. Yeah. It was fine. But that was didn't. a huge thing. And then like That's the comments on it were people just being like, they're not lying. It doesn't smell. And it can get pretty smelly. Dank. Yeah. Whoa. We're talking about a wild, well, not a wild yeah. animal, but yeah. wildish. It's like must, musty. Yeah. Must. <laughs> Where does the wool come from? Um, the wool. So a lot of it um, comes from this farm in White Fish Bay, like which is in um, Wisconsin, and that's where one one of my grandmothers lives. And then I also got a bunch... The really gnarly stuff came from um, one of my closest friends. Like, her friend uh, was living on an Indian reservation in, like, kind of the Taos area, and she was a shepherd and Whoa. selling she was like shearing oh, you want, her own sheep yeah and she was <laughs> just like oh like you know for a hundred bucks and you'd like be supporting this mm-hmm. um would you get like a box sheep? yeah she sent me like a huge box i like still have it and it was because um so the <laughs> the sheep do not wear if like on a farm where the uh-huh. sheep are like being sheared to like spin the wool they'll usually have coats um, but the, these coats, sh- like coat, like, like they wear, like coat? they wear coats to kind of like protect the, Their wool? the wool oh, and make the like cleaning and spinning process. So um, there's just a bunch of fascist. sheep like marching around in little With, jackets. Yep. Huh. Or like, you know, blankets covering. Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah, it is cool. But uh, these ones don't These wear. ones definitely did not. They had, they're just, they were like pretty gnarly. Pure. Yeah. So they are pretty wild. Really wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now they're sewn onto my creatures. That's cool. <laughs> um, like, uh, so the, when I did, you've mentioned a couple of times when I came to visit you, um, and that's where you are moving out of the mm-hmm. Sharp Willenta Studio Residency mm-hmm. Program. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a big ass space. Did that change what you were making? And now are you like, my God, I have to change again? Yeah. I, <laughs> it's so <laughs> sorry to remind you. Yeah. No, it's like, well, it's really crazy because it, it was a year and uh-huh. I feel like any residency, like, you know, it's the, kind of the beginning of August. So like at most residencies I feel like are like a month and a month would be like an amazing amount of time, Yeah. but it's like New York. So already it's like, ah, what do I like? Mm-hmm. I, I can't make, you know, the last few months it's been like, okay, what's going to happen with all yeah. this stuff? You're going to um, get a storage facility in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> sorry. But, <laughs> <laughs> you just hear about people doing that. You're not going to do that. Uh, maybe you will. Um, I am going to, if anyone wants a public, an outdoor sculpture, Oh yeah, <laughs> get in touch. If you got a backyard. Yeah. If you got a backyard, um, a fence, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I am going to, uh, well, I work in these different ways. So the, having the studio, like allowed me I guess before I'd been really making more costumes like wearable Mm -hmm. so having the space really allowed me to make or experiment with making like more like figurative sculptures like beings yeah like beings like freestanding yeah those outfits are on things that you've also made yeah not not just meant to be worn exactly yeah yeah they can like stand on their own or like climb a column Mm -hmm. like um, 
be yeah so there that was kind of new and then um but i guess you make drawings and paintings exactly. and videos i mean you can always kind of and like defocusing exactly on so that's kind of i'm gonna do the like home studio and keep on applying to stuff and just but i but i do like the um i like the like having to change it up yeah no i think the 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 being mobile kind of thing mm-hmm. it keeps you nimble yes it's good it's obviously obviously the preferable thing would be somebody just giving you a giant ass studio right. that you just could use forever which is like that crazy. you could just yeah. keep doing it right. but yeah it makes sense i mean just to be a realist too because right. you never know what you're going to have to do and to right. be able to develop a a practice that can be mobile. Um, and also this project feels like it almost feels like I'm like, let's take these creatures on the road. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you should just mail them. To yeah. Them. Oh my God. <laughs> Unsolicited and put in some of that wool. Yes. So when it shows up, oh, there's cool. sort of like a, a dankness when yes. they open the yes. box and that instead of packing peanuts, <laughs> a bunch of fucking gnarly wool. <laughs> um, like a year ago, um, you did a show mm-hmm. in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, mm-hmm. At uh, the Anytime Department. Yes. Rebecca Steele and Lydia mm-hmm. is their spot. Um, and that was with, uh, it was called the Barometric Pressure is All Over the Place. Yes, it that was. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and that was with uh, my buddy, Portland artist Daniel Glendening, friend mm-hmm. of the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the, what was the title of that show all about? It was a two-person show, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, it's not a group show. Mm-hmm. It's not a solo exhibition. Mm-hmm you're basically in a relationship with this person for mm-hmm. a short period of time. But what, what, first of all, we'll talk about that, but what's the title all about? The barometric pressures all over the place. Um, so that was, we were asked to like come up with a bunch of titles, but mm-hmm. then I think ultimately Lydia and Rebecca came up with that one. <clears throat> They're like, uh, actually your show is called this. Yeah. Well, but it was it's wonderful to work with such permissive and encouraging gallers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, That'll be a test if they're listening. Yeah. They'll be like, Hey, I liked the episode. And it's like, Hey, both of you, I'm talking about you right now. So bring it listen up. up. Yeah. Listen up. I'm putting you on notice. I'm putting the whole city of Cincinnati on notice. I mean, actually, if you get if you don't know if you guys don't know about these two, <laughs> so what is the title? Their... Sorry, I'm taking us um, on a run here. Yeah, I think like that. Was... Wait, you don't have to answer. You just told oh. me you didn't make it up. Yeah, I didn't make it up. Do you feel like it related? I felt like when you <laughs> walked into the the gallery uh-huh. with Daniel's and my work. Uh-huh. St- the pressure did change. Cool. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, um, Daniel's been on the pod before. He's a big sci-fi dude. Yes. Conceptual artist, major sci-fi geek. Um, very poetic. Daniel? Yeah. Yes. It, Two. He, he speaks very slowly. Yeah. I believe everything he says. Um, would you talk a little bit about how, how did you decide on what the two of you were going to show? Like, what did you want to spark between the two things? And did you know each other before? No. Or was it kind of, cause my understanding was the first several shows I did was like, uh, Rebecca and Lydia, each of them would sort of be mm-hmm. like, Hey, I, I am really interested in this artist. I'd like to show their work. Mm-hmm. And the other person was like, I, and I think that this would go with it. And, and it, yep. looking at the show, it makes sense. But right. how did, like, what were those conversations like when they're like, um, Laura meet Daniel, Daniel meet Laura now, figure out what you're going to put in the same room. Yeah. They, I think that was part of, I love their project so much because they were like, it's the kind of what's our our beat or like our uh kind of angle is going to be putting two artists together that maybe have never worked with each other or don't mm-hmm. know each other um whose work don't like, even follow each other on instagram don't even yet. follow each other on instagram yet <laughs> proud to say we do now um <laughs> and yeah and like see kind of put them in the same room and like have like have them have a conversation and I think um, we kind of both exchanged, like, you know, we did the, like, shared Google Doc of, like, descriptions of mm-hmm. our work and, like, what we were thinking. Um, I think at that point, uh, and, like, sent some, like, process shots, studio shots back and forth. Um, but for the most part, uh, yeah, and I think Daniel had been making these, like, kind of... Uh, like little tomb-like um, 
chalkboard, like Rosetta Stone, like these tablets, yeah, text right. tablets. Sounds like something he'd make. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> and then making these, also these like paintings. It's kind of like utopic, utopic. Uh, I think that's hey, you, It's not utopic. Utopic paintings that, yeah. of clouds. Your topic. Your topic paintings of clouds. Um, and like these hands. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hands, figurative. (laughs) Yes! I can wrestle with that. Uh, Yeah, and I think I was like also, yeah, I'd been making, focusing on Panati of the creatures, which has really big ears. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and then somehow we came up with this idea. I guess I had previously shown, like I was hooked on this idea of the, presenting the creature like watching itself mm-hmm. so there'd be like a sculpture and then like a video component um and and then they were like we can get benches made for you and i was like awesome mm. that's really classy yeah <laughs> like, that is classy um, and we benches can like made for right you. crazy like a local artisan yeah <laughs> for like super cheap um but they got paid um yeah and then like they, you know, there's like some great thrift stores. So they found some good old TVs, boxy ones, box TVs. Love a box TV. Yeah. So did it fuck up the no, the, the aspect ratio oh of your video? My God, the color it looked made it look like it was shot on film. It was insane, actually. <laughs> it was really awesome. Um, yeah, and so you'd sit down on the bench and like next to these heads, and then watch this video and Panati heads, Panati heads, little scientist suits. <clears throat> Um, they're pretty, I don't know if cute, cute's not the right word. They're, they're charming in their way. They're, yeah. They're pretty unsettling. They're unsettling, but they're, (laughs) they're friendly. Um, they have like long eyelashes. Um, did Daniel try to make you like astral project or any of that shit? mm -mm. Okay. (laughs) He loves that. But you guys... There's like a, there's a dinner, com- there was a oh, dinner yeah. component, right? To their openings is like this kind of like communal thing. Yeah. Did you have like a theme dinner around like weird, do, do you have like goopy food and eat like space cookies? Um, it became a medieval feast <laughs> and what? Lydia's, uh, partner, Jared, soon to be husband, um, made, is a crazy good chef and uh-huh. like made this like amazing he made like a turducken what and there was like fish and like it was just insane all gallery dinners should have to have a turducken it's i feel like they really want to show respect for the artist they should definitely have a turducken we made a really difficult you know because it's not i mean i don't even know if i'd i've never eaten one i would eat it i would try it yeah but i would be more interested in knowing that someone spent that much time making dinner for my show yeah it seems it, important. It felt really special and uh it felt very, very special. It was <laughs> it was definitely an awesome uh part of the night. And right after that though, so you did this show uh at any time department. You mm-hmm. did this two person show. That was was that September? That was the end of September. End yep. of September. Okay. Um then in April, like right after that, you did a solo show at Nurture Art. Mm-hmm. Was that the first like New York solo mm-hmm. show? It was. was. It, yeah. That's always it. People love to say, yeah. not you, but like galleries love to be like, it, it is the artist's first, first New York New solo York show. Solo show. Um, so in that show, there's a continuation of a lot of the ideas that you're working with around this kind of presenting things in this pseudoscientific manner creatures other stuff like that there was a lot of video mm-hmm. in the piece and then um you also started to incorporate was was it the first time that you incorporated somebody doing kind of a performative lecture based on your work mm-hmm. okay where'd that come from and what was that about so when i was in cincinnati um cincinnati cincinnati thank you um i uh did an artist talk uh-huh. or like lecture in lydia's um, she was, uh, teaching this like 200 or like 300 person, uh, art history course to a bunch of design students, freshman design students. And she let me come in and give an artist talk, um, 
but without any like pre kind of text or uh, mm -hmm. context for the students. Um, so I came in dressed up as a scientist and just like showed them images of the creatures and like read descriptions of, of them. Um, and in this like very kind of deadpan nervous way. Um, and, and afterwards it was kind of like, Oh, like if you have questions, you can come to the opening. And actually a number of them came, which was really sweet. <laughs> and they like, were like, was that real? And I was like, like what is real? Fucker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you kind of got a taste for the, like, let's see about yeah. putting it into like time and space right. and like a unpredictable right. sort of atmosphere. And, um, and cause do you feel like sculpture is safe? I feel like sculpture is really safe. Yeah. <laughs> so, but also just like, I get super, I never, I was feeling like I'd, um, and maybe I, it's hard to talk about one's own work. Here I am on a, mm. <laughs> on a podcast. We can talk about somebody else's work. Um, just, yeah. So it's like, uh, I like the idea of creating this like persona, mm -hmm. um, and of like an authority, which would be like, if I, if I put on this like hazmat suit, which is really like a Home Depot painter suit, mm -hmm. um, it's probably kind of nice to have just a stand in anyways. Right. Like not to have to, I don't know, like you already made the work. Right. That's the thing, I guess. It's like, yeah. It, but like, how can you, how can it be framed in a way where maybe I create more <laughs> questions for the, the people listening, um, and maybe myself, but, um, but yeah, I'm showing the work, but not talking about it directly. Um, and like incorporating the re the research mm. with quotes around it and like the things I've been looking at and reading, um, but you that, have other people do it, but yeah. So in the nurture art show, that was the first time I had someone else do it. And the, someone else was, um, a really close friend of mine, Emily Riley, who I actually met through she was my roommate or one of my roommates. And, um, she is, she studied dramaturgy and, but is a very talented performer, mm -hmm. I think. And, um, very comfortable with language and with her body. And so seeing her, um, yeah, for like the closing reception of the nurture art show, we were like, okay, well let's like, test this out and we'd been collaborating before like she has a um kind of performance collective and which i'd like done costumes and stuff for and like been involved with um her workshops um and um and she'd kind of also just been like a sounding board you know i talked to her a lot about this project um and she'd like been a lot of the creatures like yeah, put yeah. on the costumes <laughs> and like helped me develop movement for yeah. them and anyway so she like she'd sort of walked a mile in there oh yeah she had <laughs> um yeah so anyway she put on this like this she was now the scientist and it was cool seeing her perform it because she really brought out she was just like so com comfortable in it she like it became really like satirical and like, yeah. Um, in this unexpected way. That's really cool. And do you think that that's going to keep doing that? Is that like a direction to move in? Yes. Will it, will you be one of those people who just does that or will you start to, or will you continue to make your regular work? Or are you going to be like, you know what? I don't make objects anymore. Oh I just God. make uh, lectures and I don't even perform them. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think <laughs> I'll always have to like make stuff. Cause... Like the oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, dear. oh, gosh. Oh, dear. Gosh. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, I think I and part of probably why I like work in dif so many different mediums is like or like I had. I feel like I really like think with my hands, like yeah. my hands are my brain, like brain before my brain is my hands. I don't know. It's like that jewel song. Oh. These hands are all I know. <laughs> <laughs> They're not. 
not yours. That, they are my own. Yes. I believe. Yeah. Something along those lines. Oh man. It's yes. Beautiful. It is. I'm going to go home and listen to that. Actually, what if I was like, that's the song. That's the first song that's keyed up in my playlist. That's and whenever cool. I walk into the studio, yeah, I just put blast it. That will be in the intro to this episode. There will definitely be some jewel. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's cool. I mean, I think it's a fun way to explore too. You're already doing, I mean, you kind of have this process where you're doing these kind of drawings and things like that and drawings and watercolor paintings that kind of become these sets or tableaus that I can imagine you kind of borrowing things from and pulling out and then mm-hmm. you're creating these three-dimensional sculptural objects, kind of deciding how to turn those into installations. And then it makes sense that like with the way that you kind of keep permuting things mm-hmm. and, and doing iterations that logically you'd be like, well, you know, exhibitions are great, but there should be a you know, what else? Let's What's the take next this thing? on the road. Let's take it on the road. Yeah. yeah a traveling, <laughs> a traveling carnival show. Yeah. I think if you made traveling exhibitions, we're just like, you know how they, they're like, it's going to mass mocha. Um, and then it's going to be at the hammer museum. Uh, it's going to be going to the Walker art center in Minneapolis. But if you just had like some shitty, like pop-up tent, like a preacher <laughs> or like a bunch of like, like a third rate circus mm-hmm. and you just drove around and put up your show mm-hmm. in different cities. It's That's like the a future. Tom Robbins, like <laughs> cow, even cowgirls get the blues type of, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be the future of exhibitions when the plumbing in, when the plumbing, when the plumbing infrastructure no collapses. Works. Yeah, well, you won't need it if you're on the road. That's true. <laughs> um, well, Laura, I'll look forward to seeing some more of the lectures and things like that in the future. Um, Thank you. Is there any? Anything else that people should check out coming up? Any any shows or anything? Or is it kind of... I, I ask artists that and they're usually like, I can't actually say what it is, but yes. Yes. Okay, so it's that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Some things on the horizon. Um, yeah, some more collaborations uh-huh. happening, which I'm excited about. Okay, cool. Well, we'll tell, we'll tell people to stay tuned. Yeah, cool. and I'll put a link to the website and stuff like that in the episode description. But thank you for joining me today. Thank oh, you wait, so last much. thing. I forgot to ask you. Oh. Uh, favorite cryptid. Oh. I got to know on my way out. Should I say mine? Yeah. Okay. Uh, mine is the Michigan Dogman because it's... Uh, the Michigan Dogman is like, I feel like the most local cryptid. Very local. And there's a song about him, mm-hmm. which is cool. Cool. You got a favorite one? I'm you can gonna, name a couple if you can. Yeah, pick. I'm going to go back to the Skeopod. Yeah. Can I do that? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope you like it. You've been fucking making sculptures of it for like 10 years. It's I don't know how long it's been, but has it been 10 years? Almost. Almost. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh, well, Laura, thank you so much. Wonderful to have you. Um, and to everybody out there listening, we will catch you next week. Thank you. A cool summer morning in early June is when the legend began. At a nameless logging camp in Wexford County where the Manistee River ran. Eleven lumberjacks near the Garland Swamp found an animal they thought was a dog. In a playful mood, they chased it around till it ran inside a hollow log. A logger named Johnson grabbed him a stick and poked around inside. Then the thing let out an unearthly scream and came out and stood upright. None of those men ever said very much about whatever happened then. They just packed up their belongings and left that night and were never heard from again. It was ten years later in 97 when a farmer near Buckley was found. Slumped over his plow, his heart had stopped. There were dog tracks all around. Seven years past the turn of the century, they say a crazy old widow had a dream of dogs that circled her house at night. They walked like men and screamed. In 1970, wagon and tracks in the dust like wolves had been stalking. Near the roadside, a four-horse team lay dead with their eyes open wide. When the vet finished up his examination, he said it looked like they died of fright. 
In 37, a schooner captain said several crew members had reported a pack of wild dogs roaming Bowers Harbor. His story was never recorded. In 57, a man of the cloth found claw marks on an old church door. The newspaper said they'd been made by a dog. He'd have had to stood seven foot four. In 67, a van load of hippies told a park ranger named Quinlan they'd been awakened in the night by a scratch at the window. There was a dog man looking in and grinning. In 77, there were screams in the night near the village of Belair. Could have been a bobcat, could have been the wind. Nobody looked up there. Then in the summer of 87, near Luther, it happened again. At a cabin in the woods, it looked like maybe someone had tried to break in. There were cuts around the doors that could only been made by very sharp teeth and claws. He didn't wear shoes because he didn't have feet. He walked on just two paws. So far this year, no stories have appeared. Have the dog men gone away? Have they disappeared? Soon enough, I guess we'll know, because this is the time to fear. Ten years has come around. The seventh year is here. And somewhere in the Northwoods darkness, a creature walks upright. And the best advice you may ever get 